The last thing we ate, followed by what is soon to be a new classic, which is adding in a consistent segment about appropriation versus appreciation. You've definitely heard about talking about it before. And then we are going to play a game about classes that we also have played earlier in this podcast. Woo! Okay, let's get to it. Catherine, what was the last thing you ate? Okay, so if you'll remember, on one of our most recent episodes, we talked about um, we drafted appliances. I mentioned that I want an air fryer, and I feel like I really manifested that because then my mom sent Kami and I an air fryer as a gift. Maybe she's a secret pod listener. There's no way. <laughs> I hope. I sure hope not. Actually, <laughs> remember the one time my dad was sitting next to me when we were recording the podcast, yeah. and I'm pretty sure the game we played was he's perfect, but and my dad was like, yeah. my daughter's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I didn't last eat. Okay, the last thing I ate was eggs and a whole toast. Kami and I had that together, um, but I'm bringing up this air fryer because Kami was still hungry after our brunch, so then Kami made toast in the air fryer. How, you may ask? This is how. She blended up, or she whisked together egg and yogurt, slathered it onto this piece of toast, put chocolate chips on it, then put it in the air fryer. <laughs> do you think it's going to... Do you think that this would taste good, listeners? Spoiler, it did not taste good, so I just thought that was so funny. <laughs> Okay, what was the last thing you ate? Um, in my defense, <laughs> I saw it on a TikTok, and they said it was, like, healthy custard, and I was into that idea. And in Kami's defense, we had we have successfully tried another air fryer dessert this week. Um, Kami found this, like, fun, easy cookie recipe. Also on TikTok. Exactly. Sometimes saying, so. they let you down, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Or, in other words, you win some, you lose some. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, the last thing I ate was not what Catherine last just described because I've been snacking all day. So I just ate um, a piece of leftover pizza, but it was white pizza, and I don't actually really like white pizza that much, so I poured some marinara sauce on top. Cool. Should we move to the next segment? Okay, let's do it. Okay. Okay, I think on this episode, Kami is just going to throw out a lot for for our discussion. Yes. Okay, I've been writing down a lot of appreciation versus appropriation topics. Okay, um... Do you want to talk about the Ethiopian vegan restaurant you visited? Yeah, sure. So when I was home in LA, I went to this Ethiopian um, restaurant called Berber, which is um, it's like a, it was like a hot new restaurant in Santa Monica, um, and they sell they serve Ethiopian food, vegan Ethiopian food, and they do it in like a very kind of like calif- they do it in a way that really caters to like SoCal people that are really into like fitness and health. Um, so as an example, I got the equivalent of a veggie platter, um, but the injera was like cut nicely and placed on the, presented on the plate. And then the four vegetables that I got were in like small white bowls and each of them had their own spoon. So this was like a stark contrast to how you would normally be eating a veggie platter where you'd have like the round plate and you'd have the injera spread out and then you'd have the, um, dishes all poured on and then you'd eat with your hands or you'd be encouraged to eat with your hands um the restaurant was opened by um young ethiopian americans um so i think that adds like an additional dimension but basically i feel like here it was like a classic example of sort of like whitewashing 
ethnic food, perhaps to like make make the to like allow this food to serve as an entry point. Um, but this time it was done by Ethiopian Americans. Um, so it's kind of like, what input do I really have? We you know like what kind of do I have any place here to critique that? But like overall, I thought the food was very bad. Um, it wasn't well spiced, which is surprising because berber, the name is like the name of the spice that um, is most common, commonly used in Ethiopian cuisine. And I was like, I feel like it's totally lacking here. Like the flavor profile was completely different. Mm. Um, like I feel like they really did make a lot of intentional decisions. Um, that I'd love to talk to like the cooking team about, or like the management, obviously, like honestly about. We'll get them on as guests next yeah. up. Stay Let's tuned. <laughs> um, I think that's interesting. I think that. My initial reaction is like, oh, if it's Ethiopians who are running and opening the restaurant, like to me it would feel like it's more appreciation because they are really just trying to like find a way to get more well, people to. Well, certainly not appropriation. Sure, sure, but to like expand their cuisine mm-hmm. to others, um, and I think that like seems fine. I also think that um, an interesting thing to me is that I don't really know what. Ethiopian food like other than the meat dishes why is it not vegan already like it feels like the vegetables and the bread are all vegan anyway but I don't know the ingredients that well so I think that's also interesting that they're marketing it as a vegan restaurant to make it even more yeah sort of, like, appealing. branding choice because there's a little Ethiopia in LA where like there's just like small or there's like a block on Fairfax Avenue that has like 10 different Ethiopian restaurants and like several of them are vegan and like not in a like LA branding way, mm-hmm. it's just it's a very easy cuisine to cook vegan. Yeah, um, and then I think the other thing that was interesting to me though that you said is that like it's like surprising that it was bad, and it's almost as if like is the fact that it it was not such good food because maybe it wasn't as spiced as well as normally um, Ethiopian food is. Does that like impact sort of like how well they've done at sharing this food with others? Because I think it sort of relates to that TikTok video I sent to you of like, if you are appropriating a culture potentially like as a white person opening up a restaurant like of Ethiopian food, for example, and you did a bad job, would people call that appropriation versus if you like really did a great job opening up an Ethiopian restaurant and the food was amazing and you were white, like would people not actually see that as, as bad? So in sort of like a parallel way, as these young Ethiopians have opened it up and, like, it's not as good, do we think they've, like, not done as good of a job at um, sort of, like, helping people appreciate Ethiopian cuisine? Well, so the converse, I feel like, is, like, perhaps they, what I think is bad is good to a different palate. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think they chose to, like, really dampen the spices. Yeah. Okay, so, like, the four vegetables that they had were sautéed kale, which, like, I think often that is, like, a green, like, a leafy green, but it was, like, served in a way that was like very like reminiscent of like a lot of like you know just like healthy food places there was like a purple cabbage there was like the yellow split pea dish which mm-hmm. is like very common but it was served like with chickpeas and quinoa oh interesting yeah and then the, like the only one that was like closest to like what I guess I was typically what I would typically eat in an Ethiopian restaurant was like the red lentil dish mm-hmm. um but I just feel like they were very intentional choices like it's not yeah. like they poorly executed Ethiopian food, I think they genuinely made a new flavor profile in a way that like, I thought the food tasted bad, but maybe right. other people thought it tasted good because it's like more familiar to them. It's also interesting because it's in a way like as sitting in the U.S. and having other cuisines, maybe like we have a very narrow version of what it should be too. Yeah. And so like this is them being able to say that like there can be like a healthy 
vegan version of it that should also still be able to exist within our framework of what an Ethiopian meal would be when we go out, which I think is like cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think it was, especially when, I hate when people say, like, I feel like so many times people are like, I've never had, like, nice Chinese food. Yeah. Or, and, and, like, I just, it, like, really bugs me, and I feel like maybe this was, like, a sort of defiant way. Like, it was great to see, like, oh, like, in, like, on the street of really, like, high-end, nice kind of, like, restaurants to see this restaurant alongside them. You know, because I feel like I went with my friend, and we were like, okay, next time we should definitely just go to Fairfax, like, drive a bit further. Mm-hmm. Um to just get the more authentic one. But I'm also like, I am really rooting for this yeah. business as well. Yeah, totally. You know how when the food <laughs> is too good, especially with Ethiopian places, you just eat too much, and then you're like, I need to unbutton my pants? Maybe that wouldn't yeah, happen no, I think they place. were trying. Like, I feel like I had a full veggie platter, and I felt fine afterwards, yeah. which is great. But I'm also like, is that... Just like, eat bad food for the rest of your life so that you don't ever feel... But I'm like, yeah, part of the experience is also, like, I feel like, yeah, anytime I go to, like, Koreatown, like, I'm, like, I'm going to be, hor- I, like, budget, like, hours of being horizontal on the, yeah. you know, but I'm also, like, that's, like, part of it. Like, it's so fun to, like, stuff my face in banjan and then, like, you know, like. Yeah. So, and same with, like, I feel like I grew up with, like, such a, like, resentment of Chinese food because I was, like, I was, like, brainwashed by this, like, low-carb thing. Like, I totally really resented it. So, I feel like. Now I'm sort of like I, w- I hope that I can continue like embracing like food in its authentic form, mm-hmm. especially if it's like deemed unhealthy by white standards. Yeah, yeah. I agree totally, totally. So. Cool. Cool. Next one. Next one. Okay. Um, I follow I follow, <laughs> <laughs> I follow Flower Bakery on Instagram, and which is a local bakery in Cambridge. Founded by a Chinese American woman, she graduated from Harvard and then went on to open this very successful local bakery chain. Highly recommend. Check it out while you're here. <laughs> However, <laughs> um, on they like change their menu every season, I think. And in their winter menu, they have a chicken tikka masala sandwich, which I found an interesting choice, given that there is no Indian anything related to the restaurant. Mm. Um, however, the photo of the chicken tikka masala sandwich also looked delicious i haven't tried it yet but then also the other thing is that like chicken tikka salad masala sandwiches are also like an invention that they've made and so i was just sort of it felt a little bit like strange to create it in that sense um and part of me was like oh i don't think i like that Mm. um but then when i was thinking about it more part of me is thinking now that chicken tikka masala i feel like is not really even a dish that people eat in India that often. It's very much like an Americanized Indian like food dish that a lot of, most Americans who've been to an Indian restaurant might be familiar with. Well, it has like loaded history because it was invented in Britain. Yeah, you know, and it's like the like most common. It's like the food of Britain. Yeah, exactly. It's so. I think like the national dish or whatever. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, and so then I was like, well, with that history and sort of like potentially giving the grace that most people here might already be familiar with it, especially in a place like Cambridge, which, like, generally I think maybe has more people who'd be familiar with um, having gone to an Indian restaurant before in their life. Maybe it's actually, like, okay, and it's kind of, like, fun that they're having this, that they're kind of incorporating other cultures into their menu or Mm. kind of, like, a more diverse set of sandwiches at a bakery other than just, like, pesto mozzarella. Yeah, like, I kind of like that they're expanding the flavor profile, because, like, I off, I just find bakeries to have, like, very bland flavor profiles. Like, it's just, like, salt and pepper and olive oil, I feel like. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, 
And then I do think we talked about this like prior to recording, like there's the added dimension that the owner, it is like a woman of color who runs it. Um, but like, how does that cloud, like whether consciously or so, like unconsciously, how does that like affect my perception of whether it's appropriation versus appreciation? Like I also just feel like if it's like a Chinese American woman, like I feel like I am unconsciously going to be, or you know, like subconsciously going to be like more lenient mm-hmm. or give more grace. Or just assume that they had better intentions, too. Yeah, assume that, like, maybe they have been trained and so, you know, like, or they kind of studied something. Yeah. Um, or just even, like, they have the lived experience of, like, potentially seeing their own culture appropriated, so they would be more careful in their choices. I will say, like, I didn't have as strong of a reaction when you sent this to me over break, but, like, I do think when it's, like, of your place, it feels so different because yeah. I do remember, like, when I sent, like, when I found out, like, very recently about this like garlic chili crisp at Trader Joe's like I was shook to my core yeah like I was so appalled that yeah. they could be selling this because I was like you need to know that this is not like the Trader Joe's didn't make this up yeah like stock laugan ma instead <laughs> yeah totally or I was just like yeah these people don't know like they might exactly. not even know that it has Chinese roots yeah like, I think it's a bomb sauce yeah but so I don't know I just do I do acknowledge that like I feel like if I had saw, seen that at the bakery and they probably would have flagged something in me sure but I don't think I'd have I do think that like it is that like I think when you see your own culture you totally have, like very visceral thing and that's why you have to be so mindful of it totally and it even makes me think that I feel like a lot of the examples that you and I have discussed just like in our life and on the podcast generally have to do with appropriation of like Asian including mm-hmm. Indian mm-hmm. um cultures and I, I'm sure that there's been times when I haven't even noticed like appropriation mm-hmm. of African or like mm-hmm. Latina culture Latino mm-hmm. cultures Oh, I have one. That's okay. I thought about it. Okay, yeah. Okay, so um, I was in Michigan visiting Joanna over break. Shout out to Joanna if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to our, which episode was she on again? Um, quarantine, I, ideal quarantine party. Yeah, yeah. Please go visit that episode to refresh yourselves. <laughs> Joanna is. Anyway, um, we were in Michigan uh, and we were on a run and we were ran by this, like, mansion, and, I mean, it was during Christmas time, so it was really fun. We were, like, seeing lots of lights and lots of Christmas decorations. We, like, ran by this mansion, and they had, like, an enormous Black Santa. Um, oh. Black Santa, and I was just like, oh, do you think that the family is black? Um, and she, Joanna was like, I feel very fairly confident that they're a white family. Oh. Also, they had, um, this, right next to the giant Black Santa um, was a Black Lives Matter sign. So Interesting. I, so is that? I don't. I don't. You know, like maybe appropriation, appreciation isn't the right, but exact words. But is it like problematic versus is it like accepted? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting because I almost was going to be like, they just have to be a black family. That was like my initial reaction before you said that Joanna said she thought they were a white family. We don't know this for sure, but like we feel pretty certain based on the neighborhood we were in. Right. Um. I'm honestly, like, so confused. (laughs) I just don't even have an opinion. I think my initial reaction is that it's really weird. But I think that I would say it's allyship because it is kind of like Santa's a fake figure. And and in society, like, fake things, fantasy, etc. is always white. Like, every fantasy book that gets turned into a show or a movie and, like, you have to actually depict the characters, even though the race was never talked about, like, they always become white. And I think in the same way, like, Santa or the Tooth Fairy or whatever, whatever, like you always imagine them as white, but like who's to say that that's the case? And so I kind of do think that it's nice to 
stretch people's imaginations, especially children who are the ones who believe in Santa, mm-hmm. that not every imaginary figure is of the white. Mm-hmm. It is like yeah, it looks white. So I think that it is allyship, although it was weird <laughs> for me to hear. <laughs> yeah, I have very similar kind of like trajectory. I think my first reaction was like that's so cringy, like um, you know, and I feel like, you know, like putting a lot of like assumptions like around related to like being like a white savior or something on this family. Um and I was like, oh, maybe it's kind of performative. But, like, mm-hmm. the more I thought about it, like, the more I, like, just genuinely like it. Like, to your point, I think it does switch, like, any little things we can do to, like, adjust the default from always being white. Yeah. But then more importantly, I think that's, like, one thing that they were maybe doing. But I think the, like, intentional decision of putting a Black Lives Matter sign, I think, was just, like, I think if, it, if in the absence of that sign, I think I would have a very different reaction. Mm. But to me, I think that really, like, sh- like demonstrates intention which I think is not always enough but I think in this case like I, it, I, I'm like I'm here for it I think it's so wonderful but it's interesting that our reaction is so different to like when we on our previous appropriation versus appreciation episode we talked about white people using um dark-skinned emojis yeah so I guess like it's probably because typically when we think of emojis we think of them being like a reflection of yourself yeah um but now in this new light, I'm like, maybe people, like white people that use dark skin emojis are really just trying to, you know, move us away from thinking that white is always the default, which, I mean, I can certainly kind of understand that. Yeah, I mean, I get the thought, and I do feel like that's obviously why the emoji keyboard now has multiple mm-hmm. skin tones, is to move away from, like, the yellow or white default. Um, but I still feel like when you like thumbs up a mm-hmm. message, like it's you, you are the one thumbsing it up. Right, right. So it, in my, yeah, so it is your mm-hmm. thumb, which is why for me, that's still like a representation of your own skin tone. Mm-hmm. And so it is still a little bit strange to me and doesn't really represent allyship as much, mm-hmm. but I understand the thought. And I don't think that I would like assume someone is like doing an awful thing if they would yeah. use the wrong, like not their skin tone because totally. they thought they were representing allyship. I mean, we're having this conversation, like, neither of us is black, so I guess the only, like, as close as we can get is, like, how would you feel, though, if you saw the black Santa, but it was in, like... Like, brown skin color. (laughs) Um, I mean, even that is difficult, because I'm, like, or if it was, like, an East Asian one, I know that there'd be some, like, other cringy signals. Yeah. Of, you know, for me to understand that it's non-white yeah but what were your thoughts it's tough because so sometimes like the thing I'm thinking about right now is just sort of like when you're buying your kids children's books yeah I think that in the past decade or so there's been a from what I understand like a major expansion in terms of what the people look like in those Mm -hmm. children's books and so now there's a ton more with like black kids and South Asian Mm -hmm. kids and East Asian kids and like it's just like more diversity within Um, children's books and so in the same way that like if you're a white family I think it's great to buy books for your kids that aren't just of white people like I want to say that it's good to have um, to not necessarily make Santa white to your children I think the reason it feels cringier is because when you have a blow-up Santa on your lawn like that's kind of for other people it is like a little performative as you were saying and it's not really just like oh my kids are getting exposed to the fact that like the default isn't white mm-hmm. it's kind of like oh look my na- to my neighborhood I am I am so open-minded yeah um because like you know that for the vast majority of people of our generation who would be the adults putting those Santas out for their children like they do think of Santa probably as white because it's mm-hmm. been so ingrained over time mm-hmm. yeah I guess also this one's interesting to uh audience wise because it was a very wealthy uh 
probably predominantly white neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, I'm almost like, I don't know if it, maybe it's less performative because I just, I guess I don't know the politics of this neighborhood. neighborhood. I think it can still be performative, even if the neighborhood is mostly white, right? I guess so. But I guess what if it's more like defiant? It could be. It just depends yeah. on the politics, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's a good example. I'm glad you liked it. Okay, on this next segment, we're going to play, it's called the Harvard class game, where, <laughs> is that the right name? It's like, guess which one, guess which one is fake. One of them is fake. Yes. It's two called Two Reels and a Fake. It's called Two Reels and a Fake. Topic. Harvard classes. Harvard classes. We played this game in the fall semester, mm-hmm. aka two episodes mm-hmm. ago. So we're bringing it back spring semester, um, but with these new classes. So here we go. <laughs> Class number one, pre and post. Class number two, <laughs> <laughs> empathy, comma, and other excuses. Class number three, off, colon, on a tangent. Wait, what? Those are the three class names. Two are real, one is fake. What? <laughs> Wait, you're joking. I'm not joking. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a made up one. Okay, this is amazing. Wait, what? My guess is it's one of the colon ones. Um, because I think you borrowed that format. So... Wait, can you say it one more time? Pre and post. Empathy, comma, and other excuses. Off, colon, on a tangent. Okay, I'm just trying to think, like, maybe the last one's, like, in linguistics. Empathy and other excuses could be... I think it's empathy. Correct. Yeah! <laughs> okay. Those are, those are really those good. Those are right? <laughs> okay, the next set. What the fuck are they about? I think pre and post is actually, like, a architecture class. Mm. Off on a tangent, I don't remember. I'll need to find out. I think that that's probably linguistics. Or it's architecture. Everything weird comes from GSD. (laughs) Okay. Number one. Nah, or gestures of resistance, performance technology and refusal. Like nah spelled how? N-A-H. Colon? Semicolon. Oh, wait, what? Nah, semicolon, or comma, gestures of resistance, colon, performance technology and refusal. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> tall lean in between okay squatters puppies and your great aunt mary who pays rent in america wait what think the middle one nope <gasps> what is tall lean and in between about probably architecture <laughs> i thought they must be like physiological or something could be okay so it's, can you read the first and last one again nah or gestures of resistance performance technology and refusal okay i think it's the last one yeah. That's so but how good. funny is that? Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Wow, I love this. Good thing. job, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, that's a wrap on a fun episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs> <Boop>. <laughs>